the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Happy May 3rd, 2021. A few items. One, listener Charles shares a letter he wrote to the Arizona Republic's executive editor, who recently stated, quote, we're urgently building a more diverse staff, close quote, in the Sunday edition of the Arizona Republic. Charles writes, I feel and have felt for a long time. Uh, One area where the paper is not diverse is in opinion. I think the conservative voices are underserved in the paper. There are plenty of people out there like myself that I am aware of who have sent letters and rarely get published. I have been more successful than most. But the demand to do better, as you have expressed, is easily remedied with a selection of more opposing views for every issue instead of a few token additions of one conservative view to every five or six liberal ones. Nicely said. Charles, I'm also not sure what readers would note with a more diverse staff. Does anyone really know or care what race or gender or anything else their reporters are? As I say, do we even know or ever demand to know? Did anyone ever say what race is that journalist? What race is that columnist? It's an interesting point right there. When nobody cares other than your own human resources, guidelines, and department that you yourself wrote... Why try to get us to care? We don't. This is your world. Maybe you shouldn't care either, quite honestly. But as we know, readers' consumption of good, deep, fair, and honest reporting isn't what the papers seem to care about either. What we care about, you don't care about. You think we care about race. We don't care about race. It's kind of like our education industry. The student, like the newspaper reader, namely the consumer, is the last to be cared about and the only element of the transaction not represented by professionals or a lobby. You think about that? The students as the, of a school, as the readers of the newspaper, are the ultimate conservatives. They're the telos, as Aristotle was said. The purpose of the school is for students. The purpose of a newspaper is for readers. The newspaper doesn't represent what the readers are or want, and the schools don't care about the students. This is what we've learned. This is very odd these two major cultural institutions in this country. The one to be served, the one it's for, is the one people care least about in those industries. Item. Joe Biden literally does not know what patriotism is, so I think it's just fine to question it. We think, excuse me, he thinks and says over and over again that wearing a mask is patriotic. He says it's the patriotic thing to do. How many times have you heard him say that, Bill? Enough to make you want to wretch. As for the 4th of July, that's not that patriotic, evidently. He'll let us know what we can do and cannot do on the 4th of July. He has a problem with our common noun, patriotism. We don't know the same words the same way. He thinks a mask is patriotic. He doesn't think 4th of July is. This gets us to where John Hinderocker is. News item. Biden administration is prohibiting a July 4th fireworks celebration at Mount Rushmore. Previous July 4th fireworks celebrations at Mount Rushmore had proceeded as a joint venture between the state of South Dakota and the National Park Service. 
Governor Kristi Noem has filed suit against the Biden administration. News item. Pentagon refuses to issue a parking permit for the annual Memorial Day Rolling Thunder motorcycle rally. COVID risk is the stated reason, but I'm guessing the real reason is the likelihood of too many Trump flags being displayed by the riders. The annual rally has previously used the Pentagon's massive parking lot as a staging area for the rally. Observations, John writes, I have no idea whether Governor Noem's lawsuit will be successful, but how about openly defying the federal government here? Governor Noem ought to announce that this is the kind of decision that belongs wholly to the sovereign people of the state of South Dakota and not the White House, and that the July 4th celebration will go forward as planned. Better still is if Governor Noem could get President Trump to attend. Is the Biden administration going to send federal marshals to arrest Governor Noem and the former president? Heck, celebrating the 4th of July might just get the Democrats to call that an insurrection. Alternatively, Governor Noem could ask the Dakota Indian tribe to co-host a July 4th fireworks show, perhaps at the site of the unfinished Crazy Horse Monument right next to Mount Rushmore. In either case, the July 4th event should be labeled as a political protest recalling last summer's BLM protests, which were excused from COVID restrictions because political protest is evidently sacred, if it's for the right thing. Let's demonstrate that resistance being the right thing is a two-way street. As Jefferson put it in 1798, it would be a dangerous delusion were our confidence in the men of our choice to silence our fears for the safety of our rights. That confidence is everywhere the parent of despotism. Free government is founded in jealousy, not in confidence. It is jealousy and not confidence which prescribes limited constitutions to bind down those whom we are obliged to trust with power. Item, also thanks to Powerline, Robbie George is a regular guest here, an old friend. He shows conservatives how to fight. He's one of the greatest public intellectuals of our time. Robbie George, Robert P. George, he's the McCormick Professor at Princeton, the chair originally created by, excuse me, created for Woodrow Wilson, subsequently filled by Edward Corwin. He is renowned for his genial nature and good relations with people on the left with whom he disagrees. For example, he teaches a course with Cornell West. So, a note from Robbie George to Powerline. Robbie George was invited to be interviewed by 60 Minutes. They wanted to interview him concerning scientific developments in the area of embryonic research. He was a member of the Bioethics Council under President Bush. He wrote this to CBS 60 Minutes, and I love it. Dear so-and-so, thank you for your note. I have been a professor for 36 years. I have been involved in a serious way in public affairs for nearly 30. I have been interviewed in various media hundreds, perhaps thousands of times. Most of these experiences have been fine. Even hostile interviewers have permitted me to present the case from my perspective on an issue or set of issues, and in nearly every case quoted or reported what I was saying accurately. There was, however, one major exception. It was the worst experience I've ever had with the media. I regret to say it was with you. 60 minutes, and there is not the slightest doubt in my mind that it was driven by your ideological bias. As it happens, the subject 
was the very one about which you have written to me, the biological and moral status of the developing human embryo. I had served on the President's Council on Bioethics, and we had done a major report on embryonic stem cell research. Things actually began well. I gave an hour-long off-camera interview to someone associated with 60 Minutes who asked thoughtful, intelligent questions, listened carefully to my answers, and asked excellent follow-up questions that made clear he understood my points. This is what's known as a pre-interview. happens all the time. All this lulled me into thinking that this was a serious inquiry. Then came the on-camera interview with Leslie Stahl. It was a series of gotcha questions, which revealed not the slightest acquaintance with what I had said in the pre-interview. Trying to answer such questions for a format such as 60 Minutes is simply hopeless. Exposing the mistaken or tendentious assumptions built into the questions exhausts one time, one's time and energy. I was stunned by the experience and frankly angered. The intensity of my anger increased when I saw the ultimate broadcast. The editing was designed to mislead viewers as to what my views and arguments were. It was appalling. I said to myself then and there that I will never again have anything to do with 60 Minutes. The recent business with Ron DeSantis brought memories of my unhappy experience with the show flooding back. The subject you have asked about is an important one, and as you have noted, there have been significant recent developments pertaining to it. I would love to participate in an effort to accurately inform the public of such developments. 60 Minutes, however, is a place I would lack confidence in being able to do it. For that reason, I must decline. More like this, please. More Robbie Georges. More adults, as Hilaire Bilac put it. Little boys should not be given dangerous toys, and our media is made up of too many little boys. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Happy Monday, May 3rd, 602-508-0960. A lot to do today. Uh, it's such a busy country. There's a million stories, and I never get to go through all of them. Uh, if you emailed me and I didn't respond, sometimes if, it, if you don't hear from me in a day or two, write it again or resend it. I do read everything. Sometimes, and I mean to respond to everything, just sometimes things come in at an inopportune moment for me, not you. Obviously, you're writing it, um, and I just it sometimes gets shunted to the bottom of other things, and I, I don't mean it to. So if you wrote me something and I don't respond, no, I read it, but resend it if you um, didn't get a response after a couple of days. I apologize. On uh, I, I apologize for that, <clears throat> but I do read everything. All right, uh, let's start here in our follow the science. Annals. Annals of follow the science absurdity. Annals of follow the science absurdity. Um, who knew that an organization that only cared about just the facts and just the science was subject to lobbying? And who knew that lobbying would come from a union known as the American Federation of Teachers? Well, here's the New York Post. The American Federation of Teachers lobbied the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on and even suggested language for the federal agency's school guidance reopening released in February. 
The powerful teachers unions full court press preceded the federal agency putting the brakes on a full reopening in person. Emails between top CDC, AFT, and White House officials show the emails were obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request. The documents show a flurry of activity between CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky, her top advisors, and union officials, with Biden brass being looped in at the White House in the days before the highly anticipated February 12th announcement on school reopenings. Quote, thank you again for Friday's rich discussion about forthcoming CDC guidance and for your openness to the suggestions made by our president, Randy Weingarten, and the AFT, wrote Kelly Trattenauer in a February 1 email. She's an AFT senior director for health, which described the union as CDC's thought partner. Oh, they're also the CDC's thought partner. Now, remember, the CDC is just science and facts. It's not about, you know, intellectual pursuits, is it? Well, if you partner with the AFT, we w- it is. Quote, we were able to review a copy of the draft guidance document over the weekend and were able to provide some initial feedback to several staff this morning about possible ways to strengthen the document. Troutner of the AFT continued, we believe our experiences on the ground can inform and enrich thinking around what is practical and prudent in future guidance documents. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We are immensely grateful for your genuine desire to earn our confidence and your commitment to partnership. Why does the CDC need the confidence of the AFT? The AFT thinks it's so powerful. They will go in and meet with people uh, like the Secretary of Education when he or she first gets appointed and let them know who's in charge. And the Secretary of Education can either agree or not. And if not, it's going to be a lot of headlines. But you know what? Now that I see the CDC was lobbied by the AFT on school reopenings, did the CDC meet with a group of concerned parents? Did the CDC meet with um, a group of concerned school guidance counselors? Or did they meet with school resource officers? Or is this now a perfect explanation of what happened when Dr. Rochelle Walensky said she believes schools can reopen without children and teachers being masked, only to the next day have Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, say she was speaking in her personal capacity. Speaking in her personal capacity is something we have not made wealth enough of. Because the funny thing was, when Rochelle Walensky said that, you can go back and get the video. She's the head of CDC. She's doing it from the podium of the CDC with the CDC emblem on it and a CDC background. But that just means, you know, you're speaking in your personal capacity. So if I ever get into trouble for anything here, Bill, you know well that I'm not speaking in anything but my personal capacity. Does it, does, does it – by the way, doesn't the left think – and try and let us think, make us think that what is said in private and personally is more important than what is said politically and publicly anyway? Haven't they always told us the personal is political? Haven't they always been the ones to try and take down people by releasing their private conversations? Do you, do you remember that? When was this, Bill? About two years ago? Must have been about two years ago when – An old tape-recorded phone call of Ronald Reagan to Richard Nixon surfaced after a U.N. vote, and Ronald Reagan was governor of California using some unfortunate 
terminology about about uh, the vote in the UN. It was uh, it wasn't the N word, but it was something along the lines of. Uh, well, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't a good comment. It was a personal, private conversation. The left thought it showed all of the racism of Ronald Reagan, and every Reagan child came out except his son, who stayed silent. Every surviving Reagan child came out and said that just wasn't the dad we knew. That wasn't, and and and, and it brought us back the debate of whether what you say in your personal capacity um, means if if what you say privately means anything. Well, I suppose that's related to speaking in your personal capacity. The left thinks it's always mattered. I know there's a debate about whether your personal statements reveal who you really are or not. Dennis Prager thinks not. He's very strong on this point. He wrote a Wall Street Journal op-ed on this point uh, when the Clintons were in office because some tape recording had surfaced uh, of, uh, of then Hillary Clinton, who was the first lady at the time, saying, I believe something anti-Semitic in a private call with a friend, and Prager says this doesn't bother him. What you say in private is of no consequence. I've never fully agreed with that, I have to tell you. I've always wanted to have a long discussion with him about that. Part of me thinks what you say in private might be actually more uh, uh, more truthful uh, and more the essence of who you are than what you say in public. You know, what you say in public you often say because it's pitched, it's written, it's scripted, and it's meant for mass appeal. What you say in private is perhaps, in some cases, just more raw and more who you are. Though we don't judge people that way, we judge people by their public performance most often, and we should most often. I believe that. I believe that uh, what you do is more important than what you say or what you think. And, uh, and, and that's why it never meant anything to me to look at things people said once they were out of office trying to engender public will. So when people want to talk to me about, you know, what a great statesman Richard Nixon was, yes, sure, in his out years, but remember why he had out years. Why was he tossed out? If someone wants to talk to me about a former politician who has beliefs now about the party, they tend to be Republicans, and they're no longer in office, and they sound a little bit more like Ted Kennedy than what we used to remember of them when they wanted Republican money and votes. Um, who's, what is their real sentiment? What, how do you judge them? Well, their real sentiment may be their newfound liberalism, but you judge them by what they did when they were in power and when they were speaking in public. And regardless, a long way around this, simply to say when Rochelle Walensky said schools could reopen – whether she was speaking in personal or public capacity, she was speaking with the full force and weight of the agency behind her, the agency to which Joe Biden entrusted her with and with all her credentials, including her medical degree. When it was apologized as nothing more than personal opinion, that means nothing to me. The CDC is not an institution that thinks on its own. It's made up of people as Don Rumsfeld said to his staff when he became Secretary of State, I never want to see a memo that says the Pentagon thinks. The Pentagon doesn't think. We think. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I am Seth Liebson. 602-508-0960 is the number. J.D. John Tabrowski will be off this week, I believe, and returning next. He's getting a little well-earned and deserved break, I think. Um, okay. Uh, what did I? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I can't just go on to the news. We have this great event I got to tell you about. Uh, boy, everywhere I have gone lately, I don't know if this is true of you, Bill. Everywhere I have gone lately, people are just so happy to be out and about. Um, <laughs> there was, I had an experience in the elevator today. I didn't think I'd see this day coming. I was glad to see it. I got in the elevator. Uh, usually I get in alone. There's just not that many people around. I've noticed more and more people, which is good. Uh, we're in a how many story building? 10? 12 story building. Uh, then, uh, and we're on, we're, 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 uh, no one cares. We're in a 12-story building. A woman got on the elevator with me without a mask. And she said, do you want me to put this on? Because she had it in her hand. I said, we're good. She said, thank you. We're winning. Slowly and surely, we're winning. Um, everywhere I went this weekend, even in California, I was in California, even in California, bustling, busy. I, I don't know if they're all going to become conservatives. I don't know if they're all going to vote Gavin Newsom out. But, you know, people like him did this to us. And one of the reasons elections are important aren't just to get your guy in, but for accountability. Isn't that the whole point? Isn't that the whole point of an election and a re-election? Accountability. Anyway, I'm glad to see people uh, being Americans again. Uh, so we're doing an event, and uh, we're it's going to be a great event. We're bringing Mike Gallagher into town, and I'll be there, and Andy Biggs. It's called Crisis at the Border. It's May 25th. You can get more information at 960thepatriot.com. And what we're going to do is Andy uh, Biggs is going to take Mike and me to the border, show us around. I did this tour with Andy a couple years ago. It's very enlightening. Uh, I don't know that Mike's done it. So uh, I think Mike's been to the border. I just don't think he's done this tour. So Mike and I are going to do what um, the vice president and president won't. We're going to go uh, get an expert view of it. And then on May 25th, that'll be the day before. And then the next day, May 25th, we'll talk with you about it. You can come and talk crisis at the border with us. 960thepatriot.com. Mike, Andy, Biggs, and myself all right there live and um, in person. I... Um, uh, yes, this is this is this is an important story. Uh, though, by the way, speaking of um, speaking of people who are out of office, who then like to be taken seriously um, about things liberal and conservative, because they're working on history, they're working on legacy, and they know that the major historians in this world are not Steve Hayward. The major historians in this world aren't Wilford McClay. Uh, they should be. They should be, but they're not. Instead, there are a bunch of people whose names we probably don't know because they're not worthy of knowing because they're not that accomplished in the first place. 
But the academies churn them out by the millions every year, and they're the ones that get the book contracts, and they're the ones that get to sign up with the New York Times as being part and parcel of their 1619 project, and they're the ones that get to write a legacy. So George W. Bush is on a tour of a book he just wrote, um, and he's doing a lot of slamming of the GOP. I always find it so damn interesting when people who made their bones, their name, and their success on something turn on it. So I'll never forget, for example, it must have been around 2001 when George W. Bush held the thinnest of majorities in the Senate and a Republican senator, Jim Jeffords from Vermont, decided he wanted no part of the Republican Party anymore. This was a man who was a Reagan baby who had Reagan come out and campaign for him. And yet George W. Bush, he said, was too extreme. Well, Bush didn't like it then. I didn't mind it. I thought it was clarifying. Fine. You don't want to be with us? Go. Um, we'd rather have clarity than agreement in our party. And um, But now George W. Bush seems to be doing the same thing. Um, I'll tell you what he said. Um, a lot of you know he called us uh, nativists. Did you know he's not let up on the... On the accelerator here, said something this weekend I'll tell you about when we come back. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. If you're thinking about going solar and stopping those power bill increases, I want you to call my friend Solar Sandy, the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. She wants to put real money back into your pocket, and she can. When you go solar with Solar Sandy, she will pay your power bills for one year and your solar power payments and panel payments and for one uh, up to a for one year and you will receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right, a $1,000 signing bonus. Your solar panel payments covered for the entirety of your first year and no power bills for that entire first year. I want you to check her out at AskSolarSandy.com and read the testimonials on her website. They're fantastic. AskSolarSandy.com. Let her do all the work. Give her a call, 623-850-8229, or go to AskSolarSandy.com and let her know that I sent you. George W. Bush, he's been out of the news for a while. Seems to me the only news he tends to make is when he um, is criticizing the Republican Party. And he is making a lot of news doing that. A week ago, he warned that the Republican Party was becoming nativist. And then today, as CNN reports, Bush made a remark in a podcast interview with the Dispatch in response to a question about members of the Republican Party pushing uh, some kind of uh, Anglo-Saxon political tradition caucus. And George Bush said, if the Republican Party stands for exclusivity, you know, it used to be country clubs. Now, evidently, it's white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism then it's not going to win anything. What in the world is he talking about? What is he talking about? There are two U.S. senators from Texas, one of them a Hispanic American. He's probably the more prominent of the two. Here's the test 
There are two senators from Texas. Ted Cruz is the one I'm thinking of. Who's the other one? Okay, there's your test. There's your test. He's a good man. I just wanted to make the point. The GOP wants to stand for exclusivity? The GOP, whose colleges try and bring Larry Elder and Candace Owens onto campuses to speak when campuses are open? The GOP, which has had an entire Blexit movement, shifted unheard of percentage points from the African-American community to voting for Donald Trump? The idea that we have become gone from the party of the country club to the party of white Anglo-Saxon Protestantism? Uh, does Ron DeSantis sound like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant name to you? I don't know the background of some of the others, but he's by any measure. Does Nikki Haley, by any measure, those two are probably the top two contenders for the presidency of the United States? Unless you add the name that everyone wanted to add about 72 hours ago, Tim Scott, not exactly a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. I hate to play this game, but I just wish people who asked good Republicans for dollars here, five dollars here, a little money there, a little money they can spare for this, that or the other part of your campaign. You know, good people, retirees, people who think about spending money on a political message or money on clothes and food. You know, you send this 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 boot in the teeth of all those people. You kick the, the teeth of all these people when you talk like that because you have shown that you don't understand what it is we stand for. We stand for it. Do you think we really want anything having to do with an Anglo-Saxon? I don't even think most people even know what an Anglo-Saxon political tradition is or means. But shame on you, George Bush, for falling for this. What's shameful is you know what the New York Times and Washington Post and CNN and NBC do with this sort of thing. And you know how toxic this sort of thing is. I will remind you that when you were running for president in 2000, the NAACP of Texas wrote a terrible ad against you because you vetoed a hate crimes, a piece of hate crimes legislation that would vary punishment based on race of victim versus race of offender. And the NAACP wrote an ad of a James Byrd who was killed in your state by racist supremacists and said his sister saying, when you vetoed that bill, it was as if you killed her brother all over again. That was the dirtiest of political campaign ads in my lifetime, probably. Probably it was. And it was against you because they were doing to you what you are now doing to us. Stop it now, please. Please. Hold your head high. And if you think, if you think that you can win over liberals by caving into them. Just remember how well that worked when you invited Ellen DeGeneres to sit next to you at a baseball game. Is it a football game or a baseball game? Football game it might have been. Just remember how well that went with the media condemning her for doing it. Her friends condemning her 
for doing it. Her industry condemning her for deigning to sit down with such a decent man as yourself, saying it was like, what did Mark Ruffalo say? I think Mark, Mark Ruffalo said it would be like sitting down with Adolf Hitler. Okay, Mr. Bush. Please understand that we have understood this political opposition for a long time. It's weird that we understand it better than you. It's weird that we do. But maybe if you could find it in your good graces with the Republican Party having the problems that it does have in the mainstream media, maybe, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be too much to ask for you to help us out just a little bit as we helped you out. Maybe it wouldn't be too much for you to ask as the guy they seem to want to get quotes from as the serious elder statesman explaining about the African-American experience in the GOP and talking about why it's a perfect part of the GOP's legacy to have people like Tim Scott representing it and Candace Owens and Larry Elder and on and on. I could go with so many others, including, um, in, 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 um, including Shelby Steele. I mean, just so many others. And I have to tell you, when the media gobbles this up from Bush, they'll forget it. They'll forget it. Because the moment he now thinks it's safe to sit down with someone like Ellen DeGeneres, they'll remind him it isn't. You see, he committed a crime you cannot expiate. And that crime was working as a and running as a Republican once upon a time. And you cannot expiate that halfway. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Jim's in Phoenix. Hello, Jim. Hello, Seth. Hi. Hi. So uh, I heard uh, Hugh Hewitt interview George W. Um, regarding his book, and I bought it, and it's wonderful. And I think uh, W. is uh, an accomplished portrait artist. I've heard tell portraits are the toughest to do, especially fingers. Um, anyway, um, the stories are tremendous. The title is wonderful, out of many one. So uh, reinforcing my belief that irony is the most prominent condition of life, uh, here he is uh, putting out this book. And the thing that I wanted to say most was if I'd had the opportunity to call into you and uh, ask uh, W a question, I would have asked him, were any of these immigrants you wrote about illegal? Mm. Did that not come up in the interview? Not that I heard. I bet none of them are. I bet none of them are. I bet none of them are. I'm going to research it, Jim. It's a great question. It's a great point. Because if the if none of them are, then what we have is a straw man argument here. Because do you know Republicans who are against legal immigration? I don't. Nope. Me neither. I'm going to find out. You have given me a project, Jim. I will not rest until I find out. This is great. How many immigrants are covered in this book? Do you know? Do you remember? Like uh, on the cover, there's about 12. Is I it? don't. Uh, I just barely scanned the book. Okay. I don't know how many total. All right. I'm going to look into it. You've given me a great project. I love it. Thank, thank you, sir. Thank you, Jim. Wonderful. Lou is in Phoenix. Hi, Lou. Hey, sir. 
seem like a nice, gentle soul, and I like listening to you. Thank you. I'm just curious, why why would anyone as a Republican give George Bush any kind of credit anymore for anything he has did in the past or what he's done recently? I mean, he got us into wars. He oversaw one of the biggest financial crises this country's ever had, and he still seems to be relevant to people's minds, and I don't understand that. Is it fair to ask this, Lou? Yeah, is it fair to say this, Lou? Um, Is it fair to say that he's only really um, getting interviewed, with possible exception of the last caller's point, mostly he's being interviewed by mainstream media that wants to hear this kind of crud, isn't it? 100%. Yeah. That's why I don't understand. I put him in the same boat I put Mitt Romney. Yeah, well, it's in, in the, the it's the, you're right. It's in the liberals and the lefts. It's in their interest to say they're interviewing George Bush because we're interviewing a Republican, and it's in their interest to have him blast the Republican Party because that's what they believe, and it's in their interest to do so to get a headline. That is to say, a click. That is to say, money. Um, it's not my interest. I mean, I, I you know. I don't think ex-presidents need to go away, as James Madison once put it, but I think they need to think strong and hard about what they say. I really do, because they they promulgate, disseminate, as Rudyard Kipling said, words that are used by fools and knaves, the media. And you're just empowering foolery and knavery by giving them these interviews and saying these things which... I don't want to hear because they're not true.